Section 22 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. The Administrative Forms of the Imperial Government, Part 1. The imperial ruler governed with unqualified authority. No checks or balances or constitutional safeguards were provided by the theory of the state, and the venerable forms which lingered on existed mainly by his sufferance. The curule offices remained only as part of the showy ceremonial of the life of Rome, but with no substantial power. The Senate met to help the monarch with his counsels or to register his decrees in formal shapes, but the reins had passed entirely from their hands the local liberties throughout the provinces were little meddled with and municipal self-rule provoked as yet no jealousy but it might be set aside at any moment by a caesar's will or its machinery abused as an engine of oppression meantime however the transition from the unsystematic forms of the republic was only slowly going on and the agents of the central government were few compared with those of the widespread bureaucracy of later days the imperial household had been organized at first like that of any roman noble educated slaves or freedmen commonly of greek extraction wrote the letters kept the books or managed the accounts in wealthy houses and filled a great variety of posts partly menial partly confidential in default of ministers of state and public functionaries of tried experience the early emperors had used their own domestic servants to multiply their eyes and ears and hands for the multitudinous business to be transacted. Weak rulers had been often tools in the hands of their own insolent freedmen, who made colossal fortunes by working on their master's fears or selling his favor to the highest bidder. But the emperors of the second century were too strong and self-contained to stoop to the meanness of such backstairs intrigue, and we hear little in their days of the sinister influence of the imperial freedmen. But the offices which they had filled in direct attendance on the ruler were raised in seeming dignity, though shorn perhaps of actual power, when Hadrian placed in them knights who might aspire to rise higher on the ladder of promotion. Of such posts there were four of special trust and confidence. One, first came the office of the privy purse a rationibus treasurer which controlled all the accounts of the sovereign's revenues and of the income of the fiscus the poet statius describes in lofty style the importance and variety of the cares which thus devolved upon a powerful freedman who held the post for several reigns the produce of iberian gold mines of the egyptian harvests of the pearl fisheries of the eastern seas of the flocks of tarentum of the transparent crystal made in alexandrian factories of the forests of numidia of the ivory of india whatever the winds waft from every quarter into port all is entrusted to his single care the outgoings are also his concern the supplies of all the armies pass daily through his hands the necessary sums to stock the granaries of rome to build aqueducts and temples, to deck the palaces of Caesar, and to keep the mints at work. He has scant time for sleep or food, none for social intercourse, and pleasure is a stranger to his thoughts. 2. 
the prince's secretary ab apistulus required of course a high degree of literary skill as well as the powers of an accomplished penman he has says the same poet of another freedman to speed the missives of the monarch through the world to guide the march of armies to receive the glad news of victory from the rhine the danube the euphrates from the remotest lands of Thule, whither the conquering eagles have already made their way his hand prepares the officers commissions and lets men know who have gained the post of centurion or tribune he has to ask if the waters of the nile have risen high enough for a good harvest if rain has fallen in africa and to make a thousand like inquiries not isis nor mercury himself has so many messages of moment in later days there were two departments of the office for the language of greece and for that of italy the former of the two was coveted by the most famous scholars of the age and was looked upon as the natural reward for purity of style and critical discernment it led in time to the higher rank and the substantial emoluments of office three it was the duty of another minister alabellus the clerk of petitions to open the petitions or complaints intended for his master's ear and probably to make abstracts of their contents if we may trust seneca's account the duties were arduous enough even polybius who discharged them had little time to nurse his private sorrows thou hast so many thousand men to hear so many memorials to set in order to lay such a mass of business that flows in from the wide world in fitting method before the eyes of thy great prince thou must have thyself unfaltering courage thou must not weep for thou hast so many weeping petitioners to hear to dry the eyes of so many who are in danger and who would fain win their way to the mercy of thy gracious caesar thou must needs dry thine own eyes first four the chamberlains often attained to large influence by their talents and address but there seemed something menial in the duties of the office which was therefore filled by slaves or freedmen though as the court adopted more of the sentiment and language of the east the overseer of the sacred bedchamber Pripositus sacri cupiculi filled a larger place in public thought and gained at times complete ascendancy over a weak or vicious monarch like the mayors of the palace over puppet kings in france of far higher social dignity were the official friends of caesar amici caesaris the notables of rome who were honoured with his confidence and called on for advice as members of a sort of privy council or consistory which met in varying numbers at the discretion of the prince to debate with him on the affairs of state it was an old custom with the great roman nobles to divide their friends according to gradations of their rank and influence the emperor's court was formed on the same model and it was of no slight moment to the aspirant after honours to be ranked in one or other of the two great privileged classes out of these were chosen the companions comites or counts of the prince in all his travels who journeyed with him at his cost and were entertained by him at his table in the first century the rank had proved a dangerous eminence with moody and suspicious tyrants a word a look had proved enough to hurl the courtier from his post of honour but in the period before us the lot was a far happier one 
the privy councillors were treated with a marked respect and by the antonines at least they were not burdened with the duties of personal attendance on the prince or the mere etiquette of social intercourse save when the business of state required their presence at last the term became a purely honorary title and the great functionaries throughout the empire were styled the friends or counts of caesar the imperial officers were not appointed like the ministers of state in modern times to great departments such as war the home office the exchequer but each held a fraction of delegated power within local limits carefully prescribed the city of rome the prince's bodyguard the urban watch a province or an army were put under the command of officers who looked only to the emperor for orders two of these posts towered high above the rest in dignity and trust one the prefect of the city represented the emperor in his absence and maintained civil order in the capital the police of rome lay wholly in his sphere of competence with summary powers to proceed against slaves or disturbers of the peace out of which grew gradually the functions of a high court of criminal jurisdiction two the prefect of the praetorian soldiers was at first only the commander of the few thousand household troops who served as the garrison of rome while the legions were far away upon the frontier the temper of the praetorians was of vital moment and the prefects might and did dispose of the safety of a throne sometimes their loyalty seemed to be secured by boons and honours or by marriage ties sometimes two were named together to balance each other by their rivalries but they were always dangerous to their master till in the fourth century the power of the sword was wholly taken from them and lodged in the hands of separate commanders already the greatest jurists of the day had been appointed to the office to replace the emperor on the seat of justice and it became at last the supreme court of appeal in civil jurisdiction the whole of the roman empire save italy alone was divided into provinces and in each the central government was represented by a ruler sent from rome for the peaceful lands long since annexed where no armed force was needed a governor proconsul or propraetor was chosen by the senate in whose name the country was administered for borderlands or others where there was any danger of turbulence or civil feud a lieutenant legatus of the emperor ruled in his master's name and held the power of the sword there were doubtless cases still of cruelty and greed but the worst abuses of republican misgovernment had been long since swept away the prince or his counsellors kept strict watch and ward and sharply called offenders to account the provincial notables sat in the imperial senate in which every real grievance could find a champion and a hearing there was a financial agent procurator of the sovereign in each country ready to note and to report all treasonable action dispatches travelled rapidly by special posts organized by the government along the great highways the armed force was seldom lodged in the hands of civil rulers the payment of fixed salaries for office made indirect gains seem far less venial and the old sentiment was gone that the world was governed in the interest of rome or of its nobles the responsibilities of power raised the tone of many of the rulers and moral qualities which had languished in the stifling air of the great city flourished on the seat of justice before the eyes of subject peoples a certain court or retinue followed each governor to his province 
some of which received a definite sanction and a salary from the state there were trusted intimates on whose experience or energy he might rely trained jurists to act as assessors in the courts and to guide his judgment on nice points of law young nobles eager to see life in foreign lands literary men to amuse his leisure moments on the journey or to help in drafting his dispatches practised accountants for financial business surveyors or architects for public works together with personal attendants to minister to their master's wants none of these save perhaps the notaries scribi were permanent officials and their number on the whole was small and quite disproportionate to the size and population of the province for the agents of the central government were few and local liberties were still respected though there were ominous signs of coming changes the imperial rulers had shown little jealousy as yet of municipal self-rule and almost every town was a unit of free life with many administrative forms of local growth still undisturbed magistrates were elected year by year in each town councils formed of leading citizens and ex-officials ruled all concerns of public interest general assemblies of the townsmen met from time to time and took an active part in the details of civic life long after the comitia of rome were silenced nor were these merely idle forms which disguised the reality of servitude men still found scope for active energy in managing the affairs of their own towns they still saw prizes for a passionate ambition in the places and the honours which their fellow-countrymen could give we have only to follow the career of some of the leading provincials of the age we have only to turn over the copies of the numerous inscriptions left on stone or bronze to see how much remained in outward show at least of the old forms of republican activity a herodes atticus could still be a commanding figure in the life of greece a dion chrysostom could find occasion for his eloquence in soothing the passions of assemblies and reconciling the feuds of neighbouring cities no sacrifices seemed too costly for the wealthy who wished to be dignitaries in their native boroughs to gain a year or two of office they spent vast sums in building libraries or aqueducts or baths or schools or temples squandering sometimes a fortune in the extravagant magnificence of largesses or shows they disputed with each other not only for the office of duumvir or of ideal but for honorary votes of every kind for precedence at the theatres for statues whose heads were to be presently replaced with those of other men for a flattering inscription even on the building which the city had accepted at their hands but if we look below the surface and listen to the moralists like plutarch who best reflect the social features of provincial life we may have cause to think that public spirit was growing fainter every day and that the securities for freedom and self-rule were very few one rome was the real centre of attraction as of old the aim of all ambitious hopes local distinctions were a natural stepping-stone to a place in the senate or the privy council and employments else of little worth found a value as the lowest rounds of a ladder of promotion on which none could mount high until they had made a name at rome men of good old families dropped their ancestral titles and latinized their names to pass as descendants of the conquerors of the world in a spirit of flattery and mean compliance the municipal authorities abridged with their own hands their ancient freedom tore up their old traditional charters consulted the governor at every turn 
and laid humbly at his feet the reins of power of such unconscious traitors plutarch speaks with just severity he reminds his readers that the invalids who have been wont to bathe and eat only at the bidding of their doctor soon lose the healthy enjoyment of their strength and so too those who would appeal to caesar or his servants in every detail of public life find to their cost that they are masters of themselves no longer they degrade senate magistrates courts and people and reduce their country to a state of impotent and debasing servitude he would have them cherish no illusions and give themselves no airs of independence for real power had passed out of their hands but it was needless follies who seemed to court oppression or to appear incapable of using the liberties which still remained for these lasted on by sufferance only and had no guarantees of permanence the old federal leagues had passed away and there was no bond of union between the cities save the tie of loyalty to the emperor at rome as units of free life linked to each other by some system of provincial parliaments they might have given effective utterance to the people's will and have formed organized centres of resistance to oppression but such assemblies can be hardly traced save here and there in feeble forms and the imperial mechanism was brought to bear directly on a number of weak and isolated atoms two the proconsuls or lieutenants of caesar grew impatient of any show of independence or any variety of local usage not content with the maintenance of peace and order and with guarding the interests of state they began to meddle in all the details of civic life a street riot or a financial crisis or an architect's mistake in public works was excuse enough for superseding lower powers and changing the whole machinery of local politics sometimes immunities were swept away and old customs set aside by self-willed rulers greedy of extended power ignorant even of the language of the subject peoples and careless of the associations of the past sometimes conscientious men like pliny who rose above sinister or selfish aims would interpose in the interests of symmetry and order or wish to prove their loyalty and zeal by carrying out their master's plan with scant regard for old privileges or historic methods three the imperial system was one of personal rule and the stronger and more self-contained the caesar on the throne the more was he tempted to make his government felt in every department of his power the second century was the age of able and untiring rulers whose activity was felt in every part of their wide empire the ministers who knew the temper of their sovereigns appealed to them in every case of doubt and the imperial posts along the great high roads were kept in constant work with the dispatches which went to and fro between every province and the centre from distant bithynia came pliny's questions about a bath a guild of firemen the choice of a surveyor or the status of a runaway slave who had enlisted in the army and trajan thought it needful to write special letters to forbid a couple of soldiers being shifted from their post or to sanction the removal of a dead man's ashes end of section twenty two